Josh Weiss, welcome to my Many Screens Big Picture podcast for ComScore. I want to talk first about your dog. Is this dog real? This pup looks so perfect, like a show dog, but better. Tell us about your dog, because I'm a dog guy. I'm John Wick obsessed with dogs. So, Well, first off, thank you, Paul, for having me. It's, it's a real pleasure getting to work with you on a regular basis and now being on your podcast. My dog, who is nine months now, he's on the couch right now, Archie, he is a cavapoo, very large cavapoo, but no less adorable. Oh, he's a what? What's a cavapoo? Cavapoo, excuse me. A cavapoo is a half cavalier, half poodle. Everyone who sees him is asked what kind of dog he is. They say he looks like a stuffed animal. So we got, my wife and I are like, we keep kicking ourselves because we got the best one of a litter. <laughs> you sure did. Does Archie have his own YouTube, Instagram, any of the socials going for him? He is on Instagram, Archie the CV Poo. Archie the Cavapoo was taken. So at Archie the CV Poo. Okay, we're done. That's all I wanted to talk to you about, Josh. That's it. <laughs> That's fine. This is a dog podcast. It's a dog podcast. <laughs> but seriously, folks, it's great to talk to you. And I want to talk about your books, your novels, which are incredible. But let's just get a little background. I mean, I know that you and I have worked together multiple times. You write entertainment articles for Sci-Fi Wire, and you've been doing that for quite a while now, and that's where we first met. And most recently, I've had the honor to be included in your articles about Megan and Avatar, and it's been really fun. It's been a fun year at the box office. And I know as I read your articles, it's not just straight box office. You go into a lot of depth about the creative side. And I know for your audience at Sci-Fi Wire, is that the Kind of is that the charge to be more to get not just into the numbers, which you do, of course, but also the background on the filmmakers and why particularly films like Megan or Avatar The Way of Water are perfectly suited to the sci-fi wire audience? Yeah, I mean, just as someone personally who was never great at math, you know, I, I got a D plus in uh, math 101 in college. So I was never great with numbers, but, you know, it's kind of just a way to give some background. I find that part more interesting than the numbers themselves, just giving that context personally. But, you know, it's also, so it doesn't become super dry. It's made this much. Obviously that's important because you want the context of how it compares to other films of that nature that opened however many years ago, but it's just a way to kind of provide a little more uh, color and having your voice is always welcome, especially because I was always quoting other I feel like I was quoting you when you were talking to Variety or whatever outlet it was back in the day before I realized I could just get it straight from the source. So that was a nice change of pace. And I like working with you because you turn around things quick, man. You'll hit me up. You're like, hey, man, I need a quote about Megan. Go. And I'm like, okay, I'm on it. And we're in different time zones, which can make it tricky. Some You're on the East Coast. I'm on the West Coast. But we still make it work, Josh. I think it's cool. Yeah. For your listeners, I'm always bothering Paul before he has his coffee in the morning. <laughs> and he's still great. Oh, you know, it's funny though. I always say to Josh, I haven't had my coffee, so please feel free to edit, <laughs> modify, check my spelling and all that. It's really, it's a collaborative process. And again, you seem to get the turnaround. We'll go back and forth on an email chain and then literally maybe, it depends on the story, but a lot of times like 15 minutes later, like the story is live, here it is. And, and that's great. I really do appreciate it. Yeah. So you're a journalist, obviously. 
And you're a novelist. I think that is the crux of what I really want to talk about today are your two novels. One is about to come out, Sunset Empire. Yeah, here's the early copy. For those of you who are listening at home, Josh is showing me the book. It has a beautiful cover, reminiscent of Beat the Devils. Your first Was that your first novel or is this of all time or have you written before? No, Beat the Devils is my first, my debut novel. I had never written a book before. I've tried. I've gotten, you know, few hundred words in and stopped. So that was the first one that I finished and got published. So that's impressive. Yeah. First novel of my career. Very exciting. Now on sale. Paperbacks coming out in a month. Oh, cool. I guess by the time this is out, it might probably already be on sale. So yeah. Well, I recommend everybody read both. And I want to get into this a bit on background of these novels. I know on Sunset Empire on the cover, it says a Morris Baker novel. So you've got a universe going in a sense. And I think that's kind of cool. But I'll let you explain the genesis of this, how this came to be, how you got the idea for the characters and the setting and the history, if you will, within each of these novels. So if you want to I think it's tied very closely to your family history. Right. If you want to do time shift like Tarantino, you could start (laughs) now and then go back to your family history or however you want to frame it. I just think these novels are fascinating. And for people who love history, our students of history can learn from history. You take a, a different tack, which I think is so entertaining, yet a very serious subject. I mean, again, you can't put these books down. Tell us about, in whatever way you want to go, timeline-wise, family history and how this influenced and created the idea for you to write these novels. That's a great introduction for a very long answer. (laughs) I'm ready. But yeah, just to jump off from what you said, a Morris Baker novel, it's funny because we kind of debated for the first book, should we put Morris Baker mystery or whatever on the first book? And we're like, yeah, let's not do that. Let's let people kind of discover the character first, see if they like him. And then, you know, if we're lucky enough to do another book or a whole series, we'll put that kind of subtitle on it, which was really cool. So just to go back to the start, I mean, you know, Morris Baker, in the first book, at least, he's a homicide detective for the Los Angeles Police Department. He also happens to be a Holocaust survivor, Jewish Holocaust survivor. And he is, you know, in in true noir fashion, he is kind of that grizzled, cynical hero. He's broken from what he's gone through in the concentration camps during the war. So it was really based upon my grandfather, who I didn't know very well. I heard about him from his son, my father. So I heard these secondhand stories about his survival, you know, in the concentration camps and the death marches. And you just start to kind of build this character in your head because you don't know him personally. And that's kind of the, the genesis of Morris Baker. I also just love, you know, strong Jewish characters, especially ones who fight Nazis and, you know, in that grand Indiana Jones tradition. Right. Kind of a confluence of my grandfather, but also just being interested in kind of mid 20th century history, you know, the Cold War. I had just watched The Manchurian Candidate as I explained to you, Paul, previously, and just kind of started formulating this kind of Cold War conspiracy thriller of my own. And then it kind of collided, I guess you could say, with this desire to tell my grandfather's story. Again, I didn't know him that well, so I couldn't really do a biography or anything like that. But I thought it would be a nice way to pay homage to him and those stories I grew up hearing and kind of merging it with this desire to tell a Cold War story and been lucky enough to write two books with him now. That's not a sufficient enough answer, but... No, that's a great answer. I was going to ask, though, were you able to obviously get a lot of good information from your father about your grandfather to kind of fill in the blanks or build the character, obviously based on a real person, but this is a fictional account, but woven within historical context. So were you able to at least talk to family members and look at pictures or whatever it was, uh, diaries, uh, writings, letters, 
what did you do in terms of that kind of historical research and just familial research as well? Honestly, I didn't really do that much um, just because it is so stressed. It is very loosely based on my grandfather. It's not, you know, a one-to-one account, but there are aspects, you know, that I grew up hearing, you know, my grandfather was late to roll call at Auschwitz and he was hit by a guard with the butt of a rifle, put on a pile of bodies to be burned in the crematoria. And thankfully one of his friends took him off and saved his life. And that led to a lifelong, uh, he suffered from epilepsy, my grandfather, from that brutal attack from a, by a Nazi guard. So, you know, I thought it would be interesting to give that to Morris Baker. You know, he wasn't hit, he was hit with a shovel. He worked for the Sonder Commando, which was the group that worked in the crematoria. You know, they shoveled the bodies and emptied the gas chambers. So it was kind of like taking these kind of broad strokes that I'd heard growing up and turning it into this character. And his, uh, the character's favorite candy is Hershey's bars, just because I thought, you know, the American GIs who liberated the camp, feeding the prisoners, that's where he got his taste for it. But it turns out that my grandfather's favorite candy was Hershey bars. So it was kind of like these weird fiction emulating real life. Like my grandfather lived in California, which I'd never knew when he was in the army. So like I learned all this stuff after the fact, but it just kind of worked out that it was real. It was true to the character or to the real person. What a fascinating man your grandfather was. But I think for the legacy of your grandfather, I mean, is he with us still or? As far as I know, he's no longer alive. I think he's, uh, yeah, he's deceased. Not to be indelicate. No, that's, I, <laughs> I would just think that for your grandfather to have his legacy presented in this way is pretty amazing. We've talked before and for you to have the insight and the wherewithal to write a story like this, I would think you'd need more mileage on you, not to be condescending, but you're a fairly young man. And I think it's just incredibly impressive to frame a story around your grandfather loosely, but then create a whole new world. And like I said, it's really a universe is Morris Baker (laughs) universe in your novels. It's so cool. And I'm just very impressed. Were you a student of history? Otherwise, I I know you love movies and you write about entertainment and movies and all that kind of stuff. Right. How did this all intersect, do you think? Or was it just a family, just something baked literally into your DNA to do this? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. I think it's just so many different things. And like, again, going back to my father, who's a huge student of history, I think, you know, I couldn't help but kind of absorb through osmosis growing up with a library, you know, living room with huge bookcases, Jewish books on one side, secular books on the other. So especially World War II was something my father was always interested in. So I kind of just picked that up from him hearing those stories and and seeing the books that he was reading all the time. So, you know, that was one aspect of it. And then setting it in Los Angeles. I mean, I'm a big fan of the noir genre. You can't really have noir without Los Angeles in Hollywood. Growing up on the East Coast, you know, just dreaming about living in, you live it, but the palm trees and the sunshine. That old Josh, I didn't live through it. (laughs) No, I mean, the 50s noir. I I was born in the early 60s, but. Well, I meant like right now, you're living in LA. I know, I'm giving you crap, dude. It's, you know, it's that romanticized. I'm obsessed with it. I have pictures in my home of the Capitol Records building back in the early days in black and white and Sunset Tower and the Hollywood sign. And L.A. Confidential is one of my all-time favorite movies. And that period in history in terms of crime, I mean, I'm sure everyone listening to this knows L.A. Confidential. That's a great example of, you know, sort of the corruption and the and the hard-boiled stories that noir really represents. I would assume you like or enjoy those noir films. And noir can be newer films, too, shot in the style of noir. When you read your book, it reads like the way you describe things, you can see it in your mind's eye as a movie. I don't know if that was 
just kind of happened by happenstance or that's the way you write, but it's very descriptive. And I think the situations in here are very cinematic. And of course I have to tie everything, Josh, you know, back to movies. Right. Well, let me just preface that by saying, one, if you did live through the 50s, Paul, you look great for 90 plus. Thank you. I appreciate it. And number two, yeah, I'm a huge, huge movie fan. You know, always have been, always forcing my parents to take me opening day to see films, even when I was younger. So it's just something I've always loved. And I'm glad you feel that it's cinematic. Number one, the film rights, television rights are still up. So if anyone's interested. Oh, cool. Out there who's listening. Any Hollywood producers are listening. I try to write it as cinematic as possible. There's a lot of detail, especially from the musical standpoint. You know, I love needle drops in films. And I thought, I forget where I read it. I could be wrong. But I think when Martin Scorsese was writing Goodfellas, he wrote the various songs into the script. So that's that was kind of my uh, mantra from the first book, at least, putting all these period accurate songs. And even though it does take place in alternate reality where McCarthy is president, you know, I thought the songs of the 50s were so wholesome, you know, talking about love and heartache and all that kind of innocent stuff that the government wouldn't really ban it because it was so quote unquote wholesome and indicative of that time that we associate. I'm a huge American graffiti fan. So that was also a big influence. Readers of the new book, this is an exclusive for you, Paul, but keep an eye out for maybe there are some characters from American graffiti in the new book. Really? Okay. I like the sound of that. And I love the idea. I'm a music guy, the needle drop idea rather than just a movie score, which obviously movies can have both. Some movies just have score. Some movie, although most will have songs within them like popular songs or even you know songs that people know or don't know or you learn about by hearing them in a movie or reading them in a book. I think you're right. The juxtaposition of what was going on in film noir in the 50s or that period, 40s, 50s, a lot of, again, hard-boiled situations, not necessarily the most wholesome environment, especially, let's say, the seedy underbelly of any big city, whether it be L.A. or New York or anywhere at that time. But then having doo-wop songs and songs about love and, like you said, sort of very 50s-esque, wholesome, you know, there wouldn't have been the PMRC banning any of these songs, really. Although, if you listen to some of them today, we could do a whole episode on songs from the 50s that you think are wholesome, but absolutely are not. You could do a whole episode on that, but I love that you're weaving that in as well. How did you get the inspiration for what songs to put in there? Do you listen to Pandora or, you know, one of the music services? Is it family records or tapes, MP3s? What's your process for the music and how you integrate it into the story? Yeah, it's just basically a lot of Google searches, which is how I, I mean, I love kind of that old, I'm an old soul. Uh, My wife likes to say I'm a grandfather. Um, (laughs) I just love all that old, you know, I love big band stuff from the 40s and all that. You know, I've listened to that stuff for as long as I can remember. My father is a big, again, just going back to him, he's like the fan of all this older stuff. So I just, you know, that's kind of how I, I built my whole personality around, you know, what I grew up hearing. So all these old songs and just going back to, you know, the... That's what I love about the noir kind of genres, you know, the kind of, like you said, the juxtaposition between the kind of light and dark in a way. Even like you look at a period like the 50s and you have, you know, the stuff like Leave it to Beaver and I Love Lucy and all these kind of idyllic depictions of family in American life. But, you know, you have the specter of nuclear annihilation and, and all the Cold War stuff going on. So it wasn't that wholesome of a period, you know, that's just kind of the front that was being put out. So I love kind of exploring the darker underside, like you said, of that historical period. Well, it reminds me a lot of what you're doing of Rod Serling and what he would do is create parables in the Twilight Zone episode. And there was some deep stuff going on there. And you make a great point. A lot of it related to the fear of annihilation by a nuclear blast or uh, racism or all these kinds of issues, social issues that in a very creative way brought 
to light without being overt, kind of getting the message through to the audience through various episodes of that. And and I think this goes really deep in terms of creating an entire world that you are able to create because this is your world, Josh. You're creating it with your novels. And I find that some of the best stories are the ones that are told as parables or corollaries to other things and using the framework of real life. But then you're like a guitarist riffing, you know, you're you're on, on the backstory of something that's real, but able to put so much on it. And then having the the family history, again, literally baked into the DNA of, or figuratively, I don't know how you want to say it, into the DNA of these books and of your point of view. I'll be very curious to see what the next step is with this character or other worlds that you can create. Because in my mind, when you create your own universe, you're not constrained. You could pretty much do whatever you want. And that's got to be very exciting. This can never be boring because you're able to do whatever you want. And put in the music you want, do all that. So talk a little bit about that. Like what are your future plans? And you don't have to spoil anything. Don't give anything away, but I would imagine we're not just going to stop here. You're going to keep writing. I I can only imagine. Fingers crossed. And and first off, thank you for comparing me to Rod Serling. Not that we're even close to the same level. He is like a God to me. Twilight Zone is one of my favorite shows. It is my favorite television series. The original series. That was very kind of you. There were a couple of episodes. I think one of them wasn't even shown at the time related to the Holocaust and, and the camps. And it was a very, I mean, they show it now. I don't know if they showed it at that time, like in when the episode first was aired, it was just so powerful, but that's what great storytellers do. You're not creating a documentary on paper. You're creating a world. And I think what people will do when they read Beat the Devils or Sunset Empire is they're going to go like I always do, and start studying up on the real world at that time. Right. Because that's what I think great books do. They inspire, and great music as well, inspire you to go back and research, do research on your own, sort of as a jumping off point or the inspiration that you may give, Josh, to your readers to go a little bit deeper into this. I think that's really really cool right and it's it's it goes back to what you said about you know building these worlds with this series you could even call it that yet in particular you know you are i am working off real historical you know events and people so it is you know there is some research involved you know there is but you know these aren't you know like me writing about my grandfather it's not like a, a biography or work of nonfiction. you know there are creative poetic licenses whatever you want to call it but yeah there is like kind of a you know you have to be true to the history to a certain degree that's kind of the challenge you know finding the right balance between okay what can i make up what should i be true to and you know sometimes that can be challenging but at the end of the day you have to be like okay what do I think this cool? Because this is not a work of nonfiction. So you don't have to be as accurate to the people of the history. Right. Well, that's going to be both a benefit and liberating, but also daunting, right? I can do whatever mm-hmm. I want, but you also have a responsibility to yourself, to your grandfather, to the history of the Holocaust and all the tragic events, but also the uplifting parts, the, the great heroic stories that came out of that, the stories of survival and all that. So I think you're really paying uh homage to that in a really profound and respectful way. So, but as a writer, that's your responsibility. And I think you have an even greater one, not to put any pressure on you, but it being part of your family, or at least the inspirational part of this. And this, I could see taking off in a bunch of different directions. These are books that people will, I think they've already embraced Beat the Devils. You want to talk about, I know you did a book tour. I know the Beat the Devils novel has been doing quite well. Can you talk a little bit about that and then remind our listeners about the next book and where 
and how they can get Sunset Empire. Yeah, I mean, I wrote this in, I wrote at least half of it in college and then kind of put it aside because I didn't really know how it would end. And then once I graduated, I went back to it just to do something that was for, for myself, for me. And like I say, you know, if you're an aspiring writer, you got to get the thing on the page first before you even think about selling it. Or even if you're self-publishing, you just got to get it down on the page first and write it for yourself, you know, tell the story that you want to see. And then hopefully it will be given to the world to some degree or some format. So yeah, I finished it after college, finished it in the fall, early fall of 2017, and just started reaching out to agents. And, uh, you know, again, if you're if you're an aspiring author, just be ready to have everyone you reach out to say, you know, I'm not interested. It's a lot of rejection. You know, it's, it's yep. much like, you know, Hollywood in a way. So you just got to find that one person who really understands what you're going for. And I've, I've said this multiple times at events, but, you know, when my agent called me, it was like I was talking to myself over the phone. He just understood every single thing I was going for, which was incredible. So it just takes that one person out of billions. Yeah to understand, to believe in it. And I'm so thankful. You know, my great agent, Scott Miller, tried at Media Group. I want to give him a ton of the credit because it wouldn't, this wouldn't be possible without him. Absolutely. So yeah, so we sold it once he came on board, did some rewrites on the ending. You know, it's been out for almost a year now, so I can talk about that alternate ending, which was Nazis going to Mars. It was a little too crazy pulpy. I mean, the book is very much a send up to pulp and, and kind yeah. of those old film serials like that in, inspired Indiana Jones and, and all that. But it was a little too crazy. So the publisher and, and Scott thankfully talked me off the uh, the ledge there. The ledge. <laughs> That's a, quite an ending. I, I I think for the movie version, we got to put that in somewhere. I don't know. Maybe a dream sequence or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, there is a great book by uh, Victor Gishler. And I'm not getting paid for this. It's just a great. It's called the Gestapo yeah. Mars. I think it's like a Nazi society on Mars. It's a great read. Yeah. The ending was, the original ending was super crazy. There was like a shootout at a Santa Monica amusement park. It was a lot of fun to write, but just too much narrative wise. Um, and I was able to repurpose a little bit of that ending in the new book. I'll get there in a second. So yeah. So Beat the Devils comes out last year. Went to a bunch of, I didn't do like a national tour or anything. Kind of just did some local Barnes and Nobles. You know, went back to my college, spoke at the, the Hillel there. So doing, you know, some local events, obviously I'm a first time author, so I don't think anyone really wants to see me anyway, but you know, hoping to come out to Los Angeles one day, Paul. You better. This Zoom thing is just not working. We got it. We got it yeah. in person, <laughs> but you had a book tour. I, I know that. And then are you going to do the same kind of rollout for Sunset Empire? Or were you more constrained during Beat the Devils because of the pandemic and all that? Is it more open for you to go out and do more events and book appearances and that kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, just even getting the book out there, like we had just sold it. And then two months later, the pandemic hit. So I felt like, and I've said this before, I'm a, but, you know, I felt like for those who've read The Stand, you know, I felt like, have you read The Stand, Paul, by Stephen King? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I felt like Larry Underwood, this musician who gets this big break in the music world. And then, you know, this virus you know kills half the human population and thankfully that wasn't the case here right. but you know i just felt like oh god like i just got my big break and now the world publishing is slow and this kind of just made it you know even more excruciatingly so so finally the book yeah the book came out it was really cool because i got to speak at the barnes and noble in my hometown it was their first event back since the pandemic so it was really an honor to be able to go to this barnes and noble that i grew up going to you know buying books at and magazines whatever and getting to speak there and have all these people come out and support me which was really cool by the way barnes and noble shout out to them because we have a local one where i live in southern california it's an actual bookstore people you can walk in there they have magazine racks they have books everywhere it's shocking it's not virtual it's real so that had to be a real thrill to be in person have people lining up to talk to you uh, to do a book signing has to be pretty uh, incredible and then you have the new book what's the release date on sunset empire so that'll be out on march 28th 23 
of this year. Yeah, March 20th, 2023. It's about 100 pages longer, so it's bigger, it's thicker. Yeah. Oh, you get more more bang for your buck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yeah, I mean, it's been uh, the early buzz has been pretty good. I mean, we Publishers Weekly gave it a star review, which was really uh, humbling, and some people I really admire provided some blurbs for it. So yeah, I'm excited. I mean, it's it takes place in 1959, winter of 1959, and Baker is trying to find uh, he- missing Henry Kissinger. It's a fun ride, I think. I can't wait. Uh, send me a copy. No, I'll buy a copy. Don't give me a copy, Josh. Don't give anything I'll be away. happy to send you a copy, Paul. Nobody works for free. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much. You know, Josh Weiss, just working with you has been great. The fact that I get to work with you in some small manner with your great writing for Sci-Fi Wire, entertainment writer for Sci-Fi Wire, Josh Weiss and also novelist. And I can't wait to see what comes next. And again, as Josh said, if you're looking to make a movie and you want something, you know, great source material, uh, just amazing storytelling and such a unique point of view. And the music is already mapped out. Just go get the rights for them. But I mean, (laughs) it's so cool. I'm only half joking, but it's really (laughs) cool. Beat the Devils, Sunset Empire, Josh Wise, Sci-Fi Wire. What more can I say than thank you for being on my Comscore Mini Screens Big Picture Podcast. I want to have you back soon. When you get to LA, we can do an in-person podcast, Josh. The door is always open for you, man. And I, I look forward to talking to you more about movies. This is going to be a big year. I know I'm very excited for Oppenheimer because my father was actually a rocket scientist and I was regaled with stories about the Manhattan Project growing up. So I, I love history as well. And that's that's why I love your books. So I look forward to talking with you more about all the big movies on the way with when you're wearing your other hat, when you're writing for Sci-Fi Wire. It's really cool, man. Great to talk to you. Well, thank you so much for having me, Paul. It's an honor. And um, I hope I didn't bore your listeners too much. You're still oh, awake no out way. there. Thank you for no listening. Way. They want more, man. They want more. <laughs> <laughs> so Josh, it was great having you on, but more importantly, say hi to Archie for me and my listeners. That's the coolest dog other than my own Domino. <laughs> Absolutely love Archie and and what a cool looking pup. So I'm dedicating this episode to Archie. You're cool, Josh, but Archie, that's an awesome dog. So you're very lucky to have him. I understand. I, I would do the same thing in your position. Okay, I get it. <laughs> you know, we get it. It's the whole dog thing. <laughs>